Welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. I'm David James from Loop, and each week I chat with guests about what lights them up in the world of people development. This week, I'm speaking with Nigel Harrison, who is a chartered business psychologist, a veteran of learning and development, and widely recognised as an expert in performance consulting. Having mentioned performance consulting on previous podcasts in relation to the modern L&D skill set, it was about time we gave the topic its own show. But before we get started, if you're enjoying this podcast, please do take the time to give us a rating on your podcast app of choice so that others can find us. Thank you. Now let's get into it. Nigel, welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. Uh, Hi, David. Nice to be here. Uh, Now, you're a man whose reputation precedes you. I've known of your work for a number of years, and you're largely recognised as an authority in performance consulting. So let's not go any further before we gain some clarity around what this is. So first question, what is performance consulting? Straight to the point. Well, very simply, performance consulting is how you ask your client questions to undercover the real need uh, rather than the uh, apparent need that they presented you with, mm. which at its simplest. Um, and next question: How is it done? Just to, you know, just to, to paint a picture, like what's what? What does this actually look like, both for the the practitioner, the L and D practitioner, and the uh, the stakeholder? Well, it's all to do with the client's um, way that they've looked at the problem to start off with. A client mm. will approach you often with a solution, and, and learning it and training are both solutions. Yeah, and it's exactly the same for IT. A client might come in and say, "We need a new, uh, you know, order management system," uh, or they may go to HR and say, "We need to recruit more uh, engineers," or they may come to L and D and say, "We need a project management course." All mm. of those are actually solutions. So fundamentally, it goes back to. Um, Fast thinking, the way we all, as human beings, we tend to jump to conclusions much too quickly. And mm. we like elegant solutions that tie things together. Uh, all the work of Daniel Kahneman on fast thinking, it's all about clients usually jump too quickly to conclusions on complex problems. They simplify them to a solution and then they approach a supplier like L&D and say, we need, you know, we need project management training. Mm. So that's the fundamental start from stakeholders' point of view. The danger is from the L&D person is we've had years and decades of delivering <laughs> easy yeah. solutions for people and taking ownership of that and saying, okay, we'll run project management for you. Um, and there's a big payoff for both sides. If you think about it, everybody benefits. You know, the senior manager gets something done and they can tick a box and say, oh, we're doing something about that. You know, we're doing an L&D solution. We're getting everybody trained. And then the L&D person quite often is thinking, this is great, we've got a senior manager asking us to do yeah. a big program. And then when people go on the program, often they get, they definitely get some benefit. Training is a beneficial thing. Mm. But if, and they come back and say, I enjoyed that course. Yeah, it was great to meet my friends, learned about project management. But actually, when I got back to work, I couldn't apply it because yeah. there are other issues. So this is performance consulting doesn't make the assumption that learning or training is the solution. Uh, and it helps you ask the questions to undercover the other causes and other reasons why behind the problem. Um, it's got, I mean, that sounds very easy. The mm. biggest issue we have is that the client is invested already in this simplistic view of the solution. Yeah. And they may be, yeah, they may, then that's what they're expecting. They may have power over you as well to say, no, don't ask me questions. Just, I've committed to a project management course, just get it delivered. 
so overcoming this, what's being called a conspiracy of convenience, and this energy behind a quick fix, is what we have to deal with when we're performance consulting. But because we're taking the client away from an easy learning solution or a training solution back towards looking at the real problem. Mm. And um, that's what I spent, I spent years coaching internal L&D consultants on how to change their status, really, from being a supplier or order taker towards being a partner that has the skill and the confidence to ask these questions. Um, I think that's it in a nutshell. But then mm. we can stop now, David. That's, yeah. That's, that, that's no, I think... <laughs> I think um, uh, I'd, I'd lo- and I'd love to uh, to explore with you in a moment about um, uh, about how to make that shift. But what I recognise in what you're saying there is where I think a lot of learning and development is misaligned with the business or misaligns with the business. It's at that first conversation that you know. I, how how bizarre that 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 we 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 aren't a satellite element of a business. We or an organisation. We are um, uh, within it, but. We always talk about how we can align, how we can align more closely with it. But what I'm hearing from you is that when we receive a request or translate a performance or capability issue into a learning or a training need, then we that's at the point we distort the real problem or we isolate it and we misconstrue what is actually required. But we also misinterpret that as business alignment because if we're taking a request from somebody in the know from within the business then how can we not be aligned it's it's the it's the the strange contradiction of the order taker mentality am i on the right lines yes because it's the clients in the clients heads where the distortions happened Mm. um they're very very busy people even if they're not deliberately um manipulative they're so Mm. busy they think uh, i've got 12 complex things on my on my desk, uh, right, we need to get a sales solution to that. We need to get a new project management issue for that. We need to, I need to bring in IT to sort out that. Mm. And it's their first stab of a quick um, simplification of a problem, and then they bring in a supplier. Yeah. Now, that's where it all goes wrong, because if, the, if that supplier isn't a clever supplier and doesn't ask the right questions, it just takes the order, we're working on this assumption of simplification. Mm. And, the, and the busy line manager hasn't really thought it through. Um, and we are often L and D and HR set themselves up to say, well, we have solutions. You know, that's what we're about. So, yeah. <laughs> and it's in their interest to have these interesting solutions. And so it's a virtuous circle that no one really challenges because it's mm. having some benefit. Where it, where you miss out is it's sometimes called the training bubble. You're in outside this bubble. You really miss out. You haven't made the link back to any KPIs or any impact on the business because you haven't asked the, com- the questions at the right time. Um, and you've fit, you're now working on a, a smaller subset of a solution. Mm. Learning development is never a solution on its own. You know, it, it, and it's the wrong focus to think that you have training needs and L&D needs. If we go back to performance problems and make the link back to performance problems, what people mm. do, there will always be an element of usually the motivation. There's always an element of, sort of obstacles in the environment that need to be tackled at the same time. Yeah. And the, the great thing about it for my clients or how, who I coach and train is that there usually is a knowledge and skills element which is the bit that we pick out mm. but if it's just just assume that that's the only <laughs> element that's going to affect this performance uh, we're usually wrong you know, L&D solutions on their own uh, I'm convinced they don't work yeah when they're combined and with a focus on how do we improve performance what support do we give them 
what to how do we tackle the other issues, usually around motivation and my environmental issues the client needs to get involved in, mm. uh, then they do work. So it, it, it's got a big, if you can do this link to, to the real business performance properly in the conversations you have with your client, mm. uh, it, it really works. But it's, it's not usually the LD person's fault. You know, they're, you know, they're honestly responding to a request. It's, yeah. The problem is in, the, in the, the head of the client or stakeholder who has made a simplification but they don't realize, I mean, that's what came and said. He said, we, when we look at a complex problem, we often simplify it mm. and we don't realize we've done it. And when you're working with clients, they come in and say, we need to train these people. When you chat to them for a few minutes and they realize that unless they change the fact there's three sales processes and the incentives are all wrong, there's no point in training them. No, no, that's right. But then that's easily one of the beauties of performance consulting. It doesn't take long because if you have these conversations with the right person, you can often confront the right issues you can often uncover the other issues around it quite quickly um, so, <laughs> the, the what i see a lot of the time is uh, and i love i love that frame there that uh, that that we shouldn't take all the responsibility on learning and development to say you know this this is what this is what we sell so this is what we do there is that cultural expectation you've only got to look at uh, an organization that doesn't have learning and development within it yet. And it's generally somebody is administering uh, attendance on programs or they've, they've provided some, some e-learning content. So before L&D turns up, the expectation within the organization has shaped the, the offering. So somebody will come in to administer, perhaps even take on some of the internal delivery. So they've grown a training fun uh, function from the expectation. Now, you could say also that we've got to look at our profession and say, where's the leadership then? Uh, where's the vision, first of all, I suppose, of saying that this is the potential of learning and development and then grow the leadership to say, I know what you're looking for seems to be training, but we need to have a different type of conversation if it is to suit the, the purposes of what the organization requires. And then I suppose you've got the contradiction because some training functions are deemed more of a benefit than an enabler, but more sophisticated and perhaps um, credible learning leaders will be able to shift that focus to a much more performance and uh, an outcomes driven function. Am I on a the right path? Well, yeah, again, but we're in a short podcast. We're simplifying things as well. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> actually there is, a, there's a, there is a role for a good old-fashioned training. And mm. um, if I, when I was a training manager, I took over the role, I stopped all the training courses. Yeah. Um, and then my clients came back to me and said, uh, I don't want to talk to you. It's a waste of time training. <laughs> we go, not, you know, mm. <laughs> send all my people on these courses. You're trying to get them all these courses. I said, no, I've stopped them all. Uh, I agree with you. It's a waste of time. I just want to come and talk to you about what, you know, what your priorities are at the moment. They said, why don't you stop this courses? You can't do that. <laughs> uh, and the first thing they wanted, they said, you can't stop it because our engineers go, need to go on site, so they need to be compliant. They need to go. I said, okay. Virtually all the ones we started straight away again were all the compliance issues. Yeah. Uh, and then there's things like induction. We've got new people starting. They need induction. So there's certain no-brainers and compliance issues mm. that you do need training, and I think you need to do it effectively, efficiently, and measure the results of it, and have a training organisation dealing with all those you know, fundamental knowledge and skills that everybody needs. That's, mm. that's a no-brainer. That the analysis has already been done. And then the middle section, I feel, is um, 
sort of professional personal development around the role. And but that, to me, can be driven by the individual. When they become a supervisor, they need supervisory skills. They drive that. They can just go on a website and book it, and go and, mm. or read about it or learn from their friends. Or, um, and then the higher level one is when it's something affecting the goals of the organization or the performance of the organization, which is when a senior manager comes and says, I want 50 people training project management, or we need leadership skills, or we need you know, that. It's a large, broad brush approach. That's when you need to take a performance consulting approach because mm. they're in danger of wasting the, the company's money on a, a solution that, that won't deliver. I mean, if you take 80 people out of the business for two days, it's an enormous cost of yeah. you know, the lost opportunity cost. And um, if that's when we have responsibility, I think, as L&D people to say, we could do that. We could take 80 people out, then we could train them <laughs> in mm. project management. But I want to talk to you to make sure we're aligning it to what you want to achieve. And, yeah. that, we've, and that we've looked at the other solutions needed at the same time that's so, where it comes in so it doesn't you don't do it for everything mm. and learning development's definitely got a place i think uh, but we need to sort of uh, segment it out and really get um, the compliance and uh, no-brainers organized and efficient get yeah. professional and personal development self-service and organized and available and make sure we pick off these cases where particularly senior managers might be going to go through a fast solution that isn't really appropriate yeah, I think that uh, the, uh, even with those you described down at the bottom there, I completely agree with uh, with compliance. There is this large element of we need you to know or we need you to do this. And if you can wrap that up into the context of the roles and the organisation so that people haven't got to do a lot of work taking um, um, no-brainer content and applying it to, to their situation, then, then it needs context. But even with, I think, induction and supervisor, training I, I i listened to malcolm gladwell on a on a podcast recently and in his new book talking to strangers he says that um we've made a mistake in and he's talking about an oversimplification that um you can't remove somebody what people do from their context you you know it's what people do and how they respond is so contextually driven that almost isolating these and then uh you know and then applying that to l and d uh, having people attend a program that that isn't even speaking to the context of uh, of that is largely you know a, a fool's errand. So there is so I see that there is a, as far as induction and supervisor development is concerned, there's still a large element of what is it that we're trying to fix here. Like what's not working? I love the question. I always ask what what would happen if you removed all support for new starters or supervisors? Let's talk about some of the risk implications here. And when you start, when you get past the first answer, which is generally consistency, which I see as a misnomer, you start getting into the real issues of what, what risks do we face if we just throw people into the organization that don't understand how to get the right things done or responds to um, their, their internal clients, whether that be, uh, or, or external clients, whether that be customers, clients, stakeholders and the like. And then with new starters, what are the risks if we're, we're promoting these people and not guiding and supporting them to do the right things at the right time? Because, you know, there, there, there are up and down issues there. So, but again, grounding that in the reality of the organization, both from uh, an individual expectation perspective, but also from uh, an organizational, what they're actually there to do kind of perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's one of the questions there is actually the killer question in performance consulting, which mm. is what would be the cost of doing nothing? Yeah. Uh, and that's, it's a great question. <laughs> so we didn't do, you know, we could do something, we yeah. train them all, but what would, 
the cost or the effect be if we didn't do it? And that helps you with your client focus on more of the performance downside than you know the, the nice easy solution. Yeah, uh, and it, yeah, going back to induction, uh, you can take a performance consulting approach to re-examine induction. I, I, my background is I was trained not only as a psychologist, but as an instructional designer by an American mm. company. And sometimes performance consulting is, um, and I got it from front-end analysis, the Americans call it, where and it's the start of instructional design. So I've redesigned quite a few induction programs. And you go back and say, who is involved in this? What are they doing at the moment? What measures are we seeing? And it's yeah. often about how fast can people get up to productivity uh, in the workplace and how many people are leaving. And if you yeah. set some targets around those, you can set a measure of how valuable um, not having induction is. Mm. And then you can measure those. And then you can look at the induction and say, well, does it deliver these things? And what we usually did was completely redesign the induction to be more about uh, online before people start, the days they start, giving them a coach, giving them a first day at work checklist, giving yeah. them a, and short bits of more, of nuggets of, of learning on core things like the values, et cetera. But a proper blended program, all designed from the performance consulting approach, i.e. you were measuring what impact it had on retention rates and on speed to get up to uh, you know, uh, proficiency in the job. And mm. quantifying that, you know, it's usually quantified very easily. Um, so, I mean, <laughs> yeah, having said that things like induction and uh, safe working practice are no-brainers, you still mm. can need to look at them and analyze why we're doing them and design them yeah. in a way that's going to be very effective. It's just that once they've been done like that, you, don't, you, know, you wouldn't re-diagnose their needs over and over again. That's so, right. So learning development doesn't need a strong diagnosis across the whole realm of what you do. And a lot of learning development people will be doing things that are more no-brainers Mm. Uh, and or, and doing a lot of hard work, making things self-service and flexible so people can take them on board themselves with their line managers and coaches. But you think that leaves a few critical things when the business is just about to waste an awful lot of money <laughs> on a big leadership program, sales program, mm. project management program without really thinking it through. Yeah, especially that, that's the <laughs> God. Yeah, especially when it's deemed much more of an academic exercise or an educational exercise rather than one that's grounded in what they will actually be doing, button up against the objections that they will actually be facing. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so Nigel, we've I think we've we've insinuated this throughout here, but I'll ask you directly: Does an organisation need to be ready for performance consulting? For example, uh, people know how to buy training. I think we've said it, and we know how to sell it, but. Even as a conversation, let alone as an approach to addressing needs, this seems harder to use your word you just mentioned before, harder to quantify. It's, um, it's sometimes this approach is easier to quantify because it's all about asking the client the difference between what they're doing now and what they need to be able to do and, and saying what's the cost of the gap. So you come mm. out with a value figure or cost of the gap before you commit to any solutions. So that's the fundamentals of the performance consulting approach is to think, well, who are we talking about here? What are they doing now? What do we want them to do? And what's the cost if we don't do it? And what's the value if we do do it? Yeah. And you don't think about solutions at all until the next stage. So, but in the real world, it's funny, it's all just called um, culture. I've just, I've been working in Sweden last week. And mm. they, are, they have a much easier acceptance of, this performance consulting approach where you ask questions than some of the UK companies I've been working with recently. 
um, some of the UK companies have got sort of entrenched power and quite senior people mm. who um, the consultants I was working with were saying, well, we can't challenge them. They're too powerful. They just say, this is what yeah. we want. <laughs> Whereas in Sweden, they've got much more of a, a, an ethos of it. It's okay to have uh, consensus. And we have to discuss that. Yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, it's so, a lot of organizations ready. I think if you have a, a, an organ- quite a traditional organization where L&D has been positioned as a supplier and organizer of courses, and the people in there are relatively junior, they're not paid, they haven't got the status. Mm. And one of the worst cases I've come across recently is when the line managers, their stakeholders, have the budgets. And yeah. They say, well, if you won't do this for me, I will just go outside anyway. So I do a lot of work on power and manipulation and how yeah. to deal with powerful characters. But funny enough, it's it, uh, over the world, I find uh, it's mainly the UK and USA uh, have the biggest issues with, <laughs> with, with sort of powerful characters and powerful ways of doing things in, in organizations. Mm. That is quite difficult for the L&D people to stand up against. Uh, and I do a lot of work on resilience and skills of dealing with um, difficult clients. Um, just to give the secret away, most difficult clients are not difficult clients. They've just jumped to conclusions too quickly. Yeah. And once you get alongside them and show you can be their partner, um, they love you. You know, it's great. I mean, and the status of the L&D team changes. Uh, but it takes a lot of bravery mm. to ask the questions and not say, yeah, we'll do that for you, yeah. <laughs> of That's a senior right. person. And the senior person saying things like, I haven't got time to discuss this. Um, could you just get this done? Yeah. Uh, we've agreed the budget. All those are messages saying, don't talk to me. Don't ask yeah. me questions. And it's quite hard for a lot of people. I mean, our organization's ready. Is, ha, uh, is there a big culture of fast thinking, quick solutions, and dominant people saying, push through you know, simplistic solutions? Yeah, I th- that really resonates, and and I don't know whether this is uh, this is uh, similar uh, or uh, in any way. But I talk with um, uh, with people about developing currency um, within L and D. So you you go from uh, and you move slowly from somebody who listens and you know uh, acknowledges what people are trying, uh, what people expect from learning and development. And then over a period of time, you develop your own currency that you can then utilize. Now, uh, I know that of some learning and development leaders who have gained that currency over a really long period of time in the same organization, and some that are establishing currency having only been there for a few months, but recognizing we have the same conversation that if you've got to, you've got to work out and find out what's important to your stakeholders, and then you can start developing the currency. But if what you're doing is ex- simply accepting the orders, you're not going to develop currency. You're going to ingrain their own perception of of learning and development. Yeah, that's, that's, that's funny. I use exactly the same term, currency. Mm. And when we're looking at, um, you need to find out what the currency is in the organisation. And usually mm. it comes from looking at the performance gap. So yeah. uh, in the, I've done a lot of work in pharmaceutical industries. And when I was training them to ask the question, uh, what's the cost of the gap if we do nothing here? Uh, the question was, the answer was never money because the pharmaceuticals, they've got trillions of dollars. They, they yeah. don't care about money. <laughs> well, when we found out that what the stakeholders were interested in, their currency is time. So they had mm-hmm. to try and get the development of drugs down from an average of 12 years to eight years and had this sort of formula that pervaded all the organizations. So if you could link everything to what would happen if we did nothing here, oh, it would take longer. 
how much longer, how much could we save if we did this? That's what uh, resonated in, uh, in in that industry. Yeah. yeah. In sales, uh, it's usually it's usually money. Uh, another, you know, um, manufacturing, it's usually quality, uh, and you know, and then a lot of places, it's, it's usually <laughs> the, the classics. It's you know, time, cost, quality, customer service index. Yeah, but you do need to know, find out what currency works, and what, right to the level of the way the language is used in the organisation. Mm. You so you, once you know that, you've got you start working in these fields of performance gaps and quantifying them and getting the the language and the currency. You can then use that very effectively with your other stakeholders because you're literally talking their language. Yeah, and, uh, and so investigating performance gaps is not just to try and put a figure on it for some sort of measure it's to acquire the language of the organization mm. and work the way they work so here's one nigel if we're asking about performance rather than learning what if we uncover something we don't know how to address well that's quite normal i mean it's a um say this project management course when we actually start to talk to the uh, the client we find out that there's um there's three project management processes yeah <laughs> so we said like well would it help? And the client will say, "Yes, you're right. Actually, we've got three conflicting processes across Europe. <laughs> I think we better unify it." And you say, "Oh, right. Who do you need to talk to to unify that?" And they say, "I have to go back to the project management committee and talk to Jack." And yeah. you write it down on the action plan as client talking to Jack. <laughs> and then you say, "Right. Do they? You know, what else? Well, they do need the guys across Europe don't know the latest regulations. Okay, that's knowledge. Well, we'll take that off. We'll do something on." You know, who, who should we talk to about making the new regulations? So you share out in the action plan any anything that is L and D. You probably take yourselves. Anything that is motivation, leave the client. Anything that's IT, you, probably the, the client will go, "Oh yes, yeah, I need to talk to my IT about that because the laptops aren't fast enough to run this new project management software." So you've mm. identified an issue. There's nothing to do with you, but you write it down with the client on this joint action plan. So you're their partner. So they go away saying, I'll sort out the IT, I'll sort out that. You do, you look at the, you know, the learning development needs and we'll get back together and see how we can coordinate these solutions when we've got them in a package that's going to work to improve the performance of people. Mm. Um, and then that's one of the key litmus tests of whether you're working in a partnering approach is whether your action plan at the end, if it's got all your actions on it, you as a supplier, and it's all say L&D, then you have been pushed around in some way and you haven't actually uncovered with the client the real problems because no problems are all are solved solely by R&D solutions. Whereas if you walk out and you've got hopefully action plans here with six items on, three of what the client's doing and three of what you, you're doing, you're, that's probably a real badge that you are working as a, a business partner with them. Yeah. And you're still doing. The, I mean, then, then you go to the level of training needs analysis, L&D, analysis because now you've isolated out which bits are knowledge and skills yeah uh, so lnd training needs analysis and learning needs analysis and it has a place as the next step is after this front-end analysis yeah. when you know where it fits it really is a it's a challenge to the relationship isn't it you're talking about partnering there and a, a true partner is going to work with the client uh, not necessarily just for the client, and you can see this in uh, in training. How how often do, do trainers say that um, that now now you've got to go and apply this? And we say that because there is this misconception that that attendance on their part and their absorption and their engagement on the day 
will mean that there's going to be some change as a result. It's almost the training is something that's done to the client, whereas what you're describing here, and that again, that is an oversimplification, <laughs> uh, but, but what you're describing here is a partnership approach in which it's, there's no assumption that training is going to be the answer, but we're going to have to work together to solve, first of all, uncover the real problem and then solve the real problem. And we're going to have conversations around how we know, how we know we're tackling the right things and whether we are making progress in the right direction. Yeah. And, um, the client will know they're working with a performance consultant if they're chatting to them about IT, motivation, knowledge of skills, you know, and the, other, and the consultant is comfortable working as a partner with the client on where, whatever issues they want to discuss. Because yeah. if your focus is on let's help, our job is to help people do things better, <laughs> mm. then anything's up for grabs. And then you say, well, we, I know we, within that we have a specialism of what we're specialists in. But actually, the first conversations are about <clears throat> performance, not about solutions, because we don't know what solutions will work until we know what the problem is. Mm. Um, and so that's all performance consulting is. It's this di- I think of it as like going to a doctor. Uh, you wouldn't go to a GP and say, um, I, I need surgery on my, on my back. And the GP says, fine, I'll book you in for surgery. No. <laughs> So, or more like learning and development, where you wouldn't have your manager go to surgery and say, "One of my team needs surgery on their back." You say, oh, "Okay, brilliant. When shall I put them in?" Me. <laughs> yes, <that's right. laughs> yeah. I, but, I think it's a nice model to use because that doctor would be accused of malpractice, yeah, um, and they could be sued later on down the line. Hmm. Uh, in L and D, we won't get sued for malpractice uh, because the client's coming with an honest request please, can you train these people by June? I've got the budget. And they go, fine, I'll get it organized. And yeah. when people go on the courses, they come back and say, I've got something out of that. Because yeah. I got away for two days. I met my mates. I learned an approach. I know it's not that applicable, but I did get some value. Yeah. And it's been, and a ticker box has been done. The budget's been spent. And when, so there's no doubt, we haven't got this culture like in the, the meds the, of malpractice and of measuring whether it had actually, you know, there's any pain resulting from yeah. it. Because usually we go into the training bubble and everybody's fairly happy because it, yeah. it is a sort of generic solution. Training's okay. So there's nothing wrong with it. People will benefit in some way. It's just not mm. that focused enough. So yeah. it doesn't, the pain doesn't come up to the surface enough for us to change things. Um, you know, to get into the, <laughs> the doctor. <laughs> uh, well, Nigel, performance consulting isn't new. So in your opinion, why do you think it's taking so long to shift the conversation from one that is about training to performance? It's, well, it's amazed me that that's how many of our large organizations still believe in training courses. Mm. Um, and I, it, I mean, and so there must be something in it, you know, and I think uh, there, you book, I think one of the things is busyness. But you, if you could send someone a training course or I book it in my diary, I've actually booked that time out. Yeah, um, we do a lot of virtual coaching now, and uh, uh, particularly globally. And quite often, I have to persuade clients to say, "Look, it's just as good as a two-day course. It's better. People get more one-to-one attention." Yeah, but actually, it's much harder to arrange because they have to put an hour session in their diary with somebody else once a week. You know, and it's much easier. I think it's easier to diary plan going away for a day or two days, and it's actually enjoyable. And it's, it's a, in this very busy world, there are no real it is an upside of having that space and time. Yeah. But the main thing is the mentality. 
the understanding, we haven't changed the mentality and understanding of senior managers in the business of what L&D is. They, they still think back to the old education days when they were trained, when, when training was sort of followed on from education and they sat in classrooms and had people talking to them about knowledge and PowerPoint mm-hmm. presentations. They still happen. I, I, and so for it to happen, it must be big payoffs. There are large payoffs for the way the training or, um, system works. Yeah. And, it, and it takes all the way around this circle where people are saying they get something out of it. Mm. Senior managers get something done. They can say, yes, I'm trained my people. Uh, and on the training side, we, we offer solutions and they're, they're happy to deliver them. And then we, only we, do, we measure inside the bubble and say they're good solutions, people are happy with them. So it's, it's like the whiplash um, bubble here, uh, this uh, conspiracy where the government only stepped in and said, all the insurance claims are going up across the UK because people are claiming for whiplash. Because if mm. you become a conspiracy, you can go to your doctor and they, cons- they conspire to say, yes, you get £1,000 for whiplash with, that, with just a doctor's note and the insurance companies won't challenge it. So yeah. there's masses of, of whiplash claims. Now, it, so you won't break it from within the conspiracy because everybody benefits. It has to take someone outside. And I think we've got a massive training conspiracy in this country. It's it's not a it's a it's a mildly beneficial one. You know, people, that's yeah. the other thing is there's nothing wrong with it. It's not da- we're not damaging people. People are yeah. getting benefit, uh, and it's hard to break out of because you know, I spent a lot of time coaching people with the confidence and the bravery to ask these questions and, yeah. and how you. I mean, a, a performance consulting approach looks easy on paper, but it's how you ask the questions when a senior manager is saying to you, "But we just need this done." Yeah, and how you turn them around and become more influential with them, um, and uh, have brave enough to ask questions that they feel challenged, but also challenged in a, in a way that they think they get value from. It's a yeah. very subtle thing, and most L and D people haven't got that level of skill or confidence. Mostly, they're not positioned to be able to do it because mm-hmm. they're they're pigeonholed as L and D. Um, and when you can do it, you have major successes. Uh, yeah. But one of my major satisfactions over the last 30 years is whenever I coach and develop a really good performance consultant, they get promoted. Yeah. They always get promoted. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're developing their currency inside their organization, uh, having better conversations, yeah, and then uh, yeah. they're, they're no longer doing. They're, uh, they're managing or leading. I can see exactly how that would work. <laughs> you know, all of a sudden, yeah, Ni- Nigel, all of a, you've stepped up another level. We should reward you. Yeah, I can, I can certainly see that. But you were saying before that, that, this, that the, the training mentality or the training bubble isn't damaging. Um, you know, we've only got to look at reports like the, the Great Training Robbery, uh, the Harvard report that says that only, there's, there's only 10% of company training as at all effective coming off of a number of 100, $162 billion spent uh, in 2012 in the US alone. So, so when you do look at that, we've got to take a look and say, um, I mean, I've used the phrase before, you could say that it's a, an abundant misuse of company resources. And But there's also this side of, we've got to cra- I go, go back to it, craft a vision for learning and development that isn't locked away somewhere in a facility, whether it be a classroom or an LMS, that it is out out into the business, addressing the things that the, the organization really requires. We're never going to get that seat at the table, training 12 people at a time or, or you know, or, or counting the, the uh, apart from mandatory compliance training, the minimal number of people rattling around the LMS at any given time. It's got to be in, in addressing what's really important to the organization that, that, that we serve and the stakeholders that, 
that that we're there to to support. Um, what I'd like to, to talk with you, uh, Nigel, because I wonder whether um, performance consulting hasn't caught on in the way that we certainly would have expected, uh, because there are misconceptions around perhaps what it is, what it isn't, um, and its place in the L&D toolkit. Do you think that this may be something? Yes, it's, it's just a lack of, I mean, I've been working with the CIPD and, and um, the people don't know what, what it is still. Yeah. Um, also, I had some people from an American company on my workshop and they said, oh, we've been on performance consulting. So I'm fine. Oh, you know, what's the model? And they went, oh, um, I can't remember. It was about 14 steps. Mm. And so it was so complex. They couldn't remember it to describe it. And when they finished uh, my workshop with them, they said, oh, this is so much easier because you, you, you can remember it and use it. Um, yeah. So the stuff I've read on performance consulting, particularly from America, is, is quite uh, theoretical. I think it, we need to have simple um, tips and hints and, and it's a very simple process and we get ours down to three sheets of paper that you can mm. use in anger with clients because you're under pressure whereas I think L&D people would look and say oh, performance consulting that's something else it's complicated you need to mm. be, you need to understand lots of other different parts of the organisation and lots of different uh, you don't you can still do it from an L&D perspective because it's about ask, just asking some basic questions and the client often has to take a lot of the problems away when we talk to talk to you about so you don't need to have the expertise in everything you need yeah. to have the expertise in your own but but like being a gp gp isn't a specialist in everything but they know how to ask the questions to try and diagnose what your need is yeah so i think that's it we're not you know and people are afraid oh if i was a you know i'd have to understand about all the clients business problems you don't um no and it seems complicated i think and it sounds complicated just don't performance consulting are long words it's having conversations with your clients about their real needs. Yeah. Um, and I don't think we so, I think there's a massive, um, I mean, that's why I'm glad to do this, because I think we're still in the understanding phase of um, awareness and understanding what performance consulting is and can be. And also the other thing is I've, I've looked, when I developed my approach to performance consulting, I read all the, uh, all the different models, and I thought they were, they were too long and too, uh, you know, too confusing and, and too mm -hmm. theoretical. Uh, so I think we need a much simpler approach uh, to help people practically uh, adopt it. And, and it hasn't been out there. And people don't, you know, don't know about it. I think. I don't know. Mm. <laughs> I mean, what, do you, what do you know? I, I, I'm, my perspective is I've been very close to this for 30 years. But what, what do you think the answer is that, about what people think about well, I'll have to say that um, that before I stepped away from in-house L and D, I I wasn't aware of it. I think that like a, like a lot of people, I worked in a very small team. Um, I, I was kind of the middle layer, certainly at Disney, where I had European uh, responsibility, and I was looking to drive the help to drive the the countries forward, whilst also. Uh, absorbing what was coming down from head office and uh, interpreting that and seeing how we gain um, the uh, local success with a kind of global consistency. So it was kind of uh, much more of an interpretive role. When I stepped back and then I, I um, of course, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not in the fog of everyday working. And then I come across performance consulting and thinking, this is so, so much more valuable than because I can tell you, like during during my last year at Disney, when we were looking for uh, one uh, global voice for learning and development, 
The learning needs analysis was just the completion of a spreadsheet of aggregating what I had 48 countries worth of needs into a spreadsheet so that the content could be developed globally. So, and the way I describe that is it's the aggregation of what are deemed common needs to be developed into standardized global content that when it comes down, bears absolutely no semblance to what people told me was the real problem. And of course, these were told by managers and leaders. So there was nobody who told me what the real problems were. And then, of course, you have people turn up to classes and say, you go, why are you here? Go, I have no idea. Of course, they have no idea. They weren't consulted in the first place and they were they were sent because it seemed like a good thing. I mean, so I so I think that we are we are so fixed within our training bubble that we can't that we that we don't and we don't have the time to see what's really going on which is the reason I want to do this podcast it's it's so that we have conversations that we can open the windows and doors into our busy lives and bring these ideas in to challenge whether what we've all, what we're doing and what we've always done is delivering us the results that we are now expected to like from ourselves and from our stakeholders or whether there's something else we should be considering and I think that performance consulting being a lot of the time the first conversation that L&D will have with a stakeholder about what what it is that they need their help with is so fundamental to to our progression as a as a profession that that I think that that we do need to to create greater understanding and then make the um uh, once we've understood and we recognized its value make the know-how more accessible that's what I like like what you've just said there that that you've deemed you've seen it um uh presented as inaccessible too many steps for example yeah. does that resonate yeah absolutely I, just, I spend my time training and coaching people and over the years i've, I've elongated the support that people get to convert to performance consulting from it used to be a three-day workshop now it's a six-month program mm. including um, them doing lots of projects with their clients and support and reviewing how they get on with real clients. It also has a two-day skills element in it and knowledge. Are, you know, the knowledge is written in small paperbacks and online and examples um, because people need support over, I think, to try this out for real with their clients and then uh, support to overcome the obstacles they find. Yeah, Knowing about it and the knowledge, and you know, it's a simplified process, that's fine. The skills to use it in a safe environment, in like a training workshop, all the people that I go on my training workshops pass the test and prove they can do this in a simulated work environment. The majority of them, when they go and work with their real clients, have problems. And, it's, and that's the we, so we pick them up again after usually about three weeks and say, well, what's actually happened in your real meetings? And we work, that's where the real value comes in. Yeah. I think there are major obstacles in all the organizations I've come with around the world it, for adopting this approach. It's not just knowing about it. It's not just having the consulting skills to use it. It's dealing with the obstacles in the environment around the culture and the environment, the quick fix culture, the power, the way that L&D is positioned uh, and being tactical about how you use it. So, I mean, it's, a, you know, it, it's more complex. A simple solution won't work and it's the same to here. You know? mm. um, but there are big inhibitors in the environment. And I've been, I mean, for the years, I've been wondering, well, these, this guy was brilliant on the workshop. Go to see him in six months' time, and he's hardly used this. Now, why is that? Yeah. And, what, and that's what I've been interested in, trying to un, undercover the obstacles in the environment hindering people are taking a logic. This is the logical approach. Yeah. Uh, and, you, and you get into, I'm a psychologist, you get into 
um, the fact that most organizations are not logical. <laughs> they <laughs> appear to be. And we have to deal with uh, power and influence and uh, being tactical yourself to, yeah. you know, to try and get things done. Um, so we spend a lot of time in the more advanced later follow-up workshops on, on how to deal with the reality of your organization, which yeah. is fascinating, but uh, not easy. So it's not just knowing about it. Anybody, can, you can go on my website and download the, the process. You can read a book, it's not yeah. just the knowledge. And you may already be a skilled consultant. It's not just skills and knowledge. It's also uh, handling the environment as well. Mm. <laughs> so, so, Nigel, as we, uh, we, we wrap this up, uh, if the listener wants to explore performance consulting some more and see what it can do for them, how do you propose they start? Well, you can send me an email if you want to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's Nigel at performconsult.co.uk. Yep. Glad to hear from you. The easiest thing is to go on the website, um, which is performconsult.co.uk. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's materials on there, and you can download the process. The simplest book to get started with is a very short paperback, How to Be a True Business Partner by Performance yeah. Consulting. Uh, and that was just a starting point. Brilliant. And that's our... It's taken me 30 years to get it that short. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll, and we'll, put, we'll put links to, to each of those in the, in the show notes as well. But Nigel, this has been a great conversation uh, for me. I've learned a great deal. I found it hugely valuable and interesting, and I'm sure our listener will as well. So thank you very much for being a guest. Thank you for asking me, David. Good fun. Wonderful. I thoroughly enjoyed that conversation and the opportunity to speak with Nigel at length. Performance consulting seems to me to be an essential skill set if L&D is to realise its potential and make a quantifiable difference in our organisations. If you'd like to get in touch with me, perhaps to suggest topics you'd like to hear discussed, you can tweet me at David in Learning, connect on LinkedIn or Facebook, for which you'll find the links in the show notes. Goodbye for now.